Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. It's Adam Ballard, your new U.S. master. Admits one a year, so <laughs> feels pretty special. Have you been to every single master? I have, yep. Can you name them all? Uh, yeah, in order. I was at uh, Nashville when you hosted uh, first year. Next year was in Chicago. Uh, after that, we went to San Antonio. Then we went out to New York. Uh, then back to Texas and Dallas. And now we went out to Seattle. Man, not only can he smash you on the table, his memory is spot on. <laughs> so amazing stuff. Well, let's get into it. Everybody on this planet should know Adam Ballard by this point. You've either heard the name, you've heard it whispered to you in dark nights. You know, hey, watch out, the boogeyman. Well, give us some background. Where did when did you start? Uh, you know, tabletop gaming. So I'm from Omaha, Nebraska, born and raised here. Got a good group of guys out here. So uh, I wish I could say it was my idea to start playing tabletop games, but uh, I was actually dragged into the game by uh, Travis Tim, and he was dragged in by one of his uncles from South Dakota. Uh, Travis originally from South Dakota, and he moved to Omaha, and when he was about ten years old, and We've been friends ever since. So uh, we kind of started playing uh, some smaller game systems like uh, Mage Knights. We played some sports clicks. You know, we played some card games, uh, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, a little bit of magic here and there. But uh, we finally found a game and stuck with it when we found uh, Warhammer Fantasy. And it was towards the end of 7th edition. So this was about... We were we were in high school about that time, so we were like 16, 17 years old. And so Billy, Travis, and I were like, yeah, this is a fun game. Um, we were, you know, it's, it's it definitely an expensive hobby for a 16-year-old to get into at that point. But uh, luckily, we got some, uh, like, secondhand armies, and we each picked a faction. And um, at the time, I was playing Vampire Counts, um, and Travis was playing Orcs and Goblins. Go figure. Uh, and Billy was playing Dark Elves. And in Omaha here, the uh, the group that we uh, played with, the Outlanders, is just a great group of guys to hang out with. Uh, had a lot of fun, and really a lot of them, or not a lot of them, a handful of them were active in the uh, Warhammer Fantasy tournament scene. That kind of led us down that path, and instead of becoming, you know, kind of casual weekend war gamers, we uh, started kind of trying hard and going to more and more tournaments as we got older. So, and then kind of the rest is history. The uh, Warhammer world blew up, and we all converted over to Kings of War uh, with the mass exodus, and we've been loving Kings of War ever since. You guys have lots of great events in your area. 
Yeah, absolutely. So the the main event in Omaha, uh, that's kind of our, our baby, is the Bug Eater GT. Um, hopefully, everybody's kind of heard of that one. We've been around for a long time. Um, we just had our uh, 10th year in person, unofficially 11th year with the, the year off from COVID. Um, so it, it started... When it started, it was Warhammer Fantasy, Warhammer 40K, uh, kind of a dual tournament. Um, and it's just grown year over year. We have a dozen game systems that play over the weekend. Kings of War is always the second largest event. Um, we run it out of a high school. Uh, so we have our own gymnasium as the Kings of War group. And we got plenty of room to expand. So uh, it's always first weekend in June. So if anybody's looking for an event around that time, uh, we'll host you up. We'll put you in, uh, you know, find you a place to sleep at a lo- locals, one of the locals, probably my house. Um, so that way you can, you know, save some money on uh, some food, some gas and a uh, hotel. We'll pick you up from the airport if we need to and we throw a huge barbecue saturday night uh, after day one and everybody just brings their own beer throws it into the kiddie pool that filled with ice and it's just a great time <laughs> so outside of omaha around the surrounding areas in the uh the mountain region at least we got uh, kcgt which is uh, uh has been a, f- a few weekends before uh bug eater gt um, I don't think it has like a set date, but uh, Michael Sigler runs that one. Um, it's been going for two years now. He has a good number, about 16 to 20 guys is what he's been averaging. So uh, that's a good one. I plan on going to the Iowa GT out of Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, that's Labor Day weekend. Again, Stephen DeRose runs that one. It's a great event. Dan Wignall uh, hosts people. So I'll be staying at Dan's place and Again, they do a Saturday night barbecue in Dan's backyard. So very much uh, kind of a hometown feel is what we kind of go for in the mountain region here. So another big event, uh, a little bit further away from the Omaha guys here is uh, Bison Brawl down in Oklahoma City. It's actually the weekend before Iowa GT. And I know it's a, it's a big gathering ground for a lot of the Texas guys, Oklahoma guys. And uh, even, you know, some of the the Kansas guys out of Wichita usually make it down there, too. Uh, Unfortunately, I haven't been lucky enough to catch a break and have it fit my schedule. So I I haven't been there, but I've heard great things from the the Omaha guys that have been there. So how have you done the Masters before? What's uh, what's your overall record? Have you been working up to this or is this just a fluke or what's going on here? I remember most years, I think San Antonio is the one that's kind of a blanks for me right now. But I remember my first year, uh, you know, uh, as Rob would call us, we were the country bumpkins that came from Omaha, Nebraska. Obviously, Travis Tim kind of leading, rallying the country bumpkin troop. You know, everybody probably looked at us and they're like, who the hell are these guys and what the hell are they doing in, you know, our territory here? Like everybody else, I'm sure, kind of knew each other and you know, Jace, uh, at the time it was James Valdez that was the, the leader of our uh, um, region. Uh, you know, he's like, man, he was really scraping the bottom of the barrel if he's bringing these guys from Omaha, Nebraska. So, um, but I, I ended up doing pretty well with a really, uh, a really underwhelming uh, elf list. I didn't have any Dracons. I didn't have any hordes of uh, 
um, hordes of archers, and I didn't have a dragon lord. And you actually had elves, all, I think. Yeah, I had elves. So, um, yeah, so I was playing like elf cavalry and like regiments of, uh, you know, combat infantry, regiments of archers, and like just doing some really weird stuff. And you know what? Like uh, a couple of Silver Breeze Cav, that was kind of the beginnings of the silver breeze list but uh i i ended up going three and three and my first year at masters and uh all three of my losses i well first off i lost to the master himself pat zorro allen in round three so i got to be one of his uh stomping grounds on the way to his victory and then from there i think i lost to uh jake uh pikachu which he had a different last name at the time. I kind of forgot already, but everybody knows Jake. Jake Hutton, Jake. I think. Yeah, yep. Jake Hutton. Yeah. Yep. And then I lost to, uh, uh, I got the pleasure of playing David Bowman from uh, the South. Yeah, and, good player. Yeah, yeah, man, scary guy, though. He's He was built. And uh, unfortunately, he got kind of angry in our game, not necessarily at me specifically, but Mark Cox was playing right next to us and he was kind of egging him on and Mark oh, reached Mark reached over to give me a high five because I did something good and I look at him like dude I want to keep my head. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so I went 3 and 3 first year first years I went to Masters but then the next year uh when it was in uh Chicago I wasn't even supposed to be there. I had a son that was born a week before the event uh and uh, at this point, I was uh, newly uh, a new regional chair for our region since James had to step down. So it was kind of left up to me to scrounge a team together last minute when, uh, you know, two two of our guys dropped. I was having some trouble. And uh, at the time, my wife uh, just looked at me and said, well, why don't you just go? Like, you know, it's my, my kid was here. He's healthy. You know, she's like, go have fun come back and then it'll be your turn to watch him uh, but uh so i ended up going and that was uh probably my best showing at masters uh for for the rest of them here up until this last one i was uh uh four wins and a draw going into the last game and i was on table two uh playing against dustin howard um and i you know, I was sitting right next to the top table, which was Andrew Chapman uh, and uh, the eventual master, Alex Chavez. I gave Dustin a good game, and it came down to the wire. So uh, not not disappointed with that loss at all. But, uh, yeah, so I finished 4-1-1 one, and one that year. Then we went to San Antonio, and, uh, again, I forget my exact finish, but I think I had three wins, two losses, and a draw. Yeah, it sounds about right. My, I had a win first game, got a max points, and got the pleasure of playing Brad McKay, the master himself, that was crowned that year. Feel the, like feel the Twilight King list, full of chariots. Yeah. yeah, I'll be honest, I I loved my chances against the list. I I really wanted the opportunity, but the dice had their way. So uh, his his dice just uh, rolled me off the table and. Um, my list at the time was a bunch of very uh, <laughs> fragile units of Silver Breeze and uh, whatnot. So once he uh, his shooting kind of took control of the game, it was all downhill from there. So uh, then New York Masters after that, 
which uh, again was another really good year uh, for me. I um, was four wins, one loss going into the last round, uh, and I had to play uh, Shulkin. And my one loss before that was against Nathan Clevenger that year. Um, so, spoiler alert, got my uh, uh, revenge this year. But uh, uh, And then I lost my last round against Jeff Shulkin, um, which Travis will never let me live down because if I hold him off, then Travis is second place instead of third place, to, which Jeff jumped him to second place. So, you know, Travis always gotta gotta beat me while i'm down so um so yeah i kind of had a uh, a history at this point of kind of choking in the last game when it uh when when it comes close to the end there what was it uh texas uh dallas masters i had uh the unfortunate event of being uh impacted by a last minute rules change before the event so my eod didn't perform as well as i'd hoped um, but I still did pretty well. This is the um, withdraw, right? If you if you if you make a withdraw and then you just engage, you can't right. uh, add the double or yeah, yeah, yeah. So a big portion of my list was uh, double bone giants and being able to, you know, take a charge or be in combat, take an inch step back, turn ninety degrees exactly, and then walk forward seven inches to the side, and. The way that I played, a lot of times I was trying to hold uh, other units back so that there was going to be an enemy unit there for me to then just surge into the flank. Um, but with the change, it uh, prevented me from using that particular tactic with my army. Um, so I had to kind of adjust a week before the event. Um, I still did fairly well. I had three wins two draws and one loss that weekend. Uh, my one loss uh, was against Nick Murray, a new, a new guy at the time from Reno. Uh, unfortunately, I had clocked out in the middle of our turn seven. If I hadn't have done that, I, I would have gotten the win on that one. But yeah, it was still a, a great game. Uh, and I had the pleasure of playing Eric Trowbridge that year who brought back the same list that he won Masters with the previous year. <laughs> it was definitely an uphill battle we were playing invade uh and he has a lot of unit strength in that army um and i don't don't have near enough uh for that scenario and i'm shambling i was able to get a lucky draw out of that matchup so i consider that a win uh in that situation but uh, i was lucky enough to play eric uh so obviously this year was six and oh so Overall, I've had winning records at Masters outside of the first year was a three and three. So, question about the, the rules change for EOD. Why did you need to withdraw? Couldn't you just pivot it and did the same thing? So, I couldn't because the main uh, strategy I was going for required me to surge. So, if I just pivot and move, I have to clear an inch from the unit that I was just engaged right. with in order illegal. for it to be a legal move. Right. right. So, Again, it happened like a week yeah, or two before right. the event, uh, and later on, I found out that I just needed, or I was able to still get the same effect just by spreading my lines out further, so that I, you know, the unit that I was trying to surge into was far far enough away that there was a gap where my bone giant could sit and be an inch away from the unit I wanted to surge into, and an inch away from the unit that it was just in combat with. Uh, it just doesn't work when it's like a horde of infantry or, you know, that wide gotcha. of a base. So, 
What is one thing you learned from Patrick Allen? The main thing I learned from Patrick at the time was that uh, when flyers aren't disordered from <laughs> combat and they can just jump right over the next thing, that's pretty pretty freaking good. <laughs> and when you have a defense six dragon and you have a defense five regeneration dragon, it's pretty good. So. Uh, I, I definitely learned that uh, in in Kings of War, especially at Masters, uh, it's not the time to put limitations on yourself when it comes to list building, which is absolutely what I did for the first year of Masters. I kind of took that uh, and, you know, realized that, you know, coming from a Warhammer background, it was um, a very different mentality, I think. I was expecting, you know, a lot of like net lists type things in Kings of War, very similar to uh, Warhammer, where there's, you know, everybody's playing Warriors of Chaos because they're really good. You know, that's like a low model count army, so it's pretty easy to build. Um, but there really wasn't much of that in Kings of War, just because I think there's so much of a, a variety of armies. I would say Undead was at the time the. Uh, uh, one of the most prevalent lists, um, and I lost all three of my games to undead players. It, it really kind of uh, opened my eyes to show me that um, it's okay to take, you know, a optimized list. Uh, it's not, it's not really held against you at the master's level, and it's also one of those things that uh, in Kings of War, there's not the perfect list there's not the you know this is the new broken cheese uh army or list that everybody's taking and that it's good no matter who's piloting it so it really opened my eyes and kind of allowed me to take away some of those uh self uh crutches that i had at the time so same question about alex chavez what did you learn from alex well i never played alex uh personally but i i think the year that he won a uh, big thing that I kind of saw was that it seemed like Alex was playing an army that he had been playing for a while and may- maybe just added in a couple of newer things like the uh, the Steel Behemoth. Steel Behemoth, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it seemed like, or from what I understood, Alex was kind of a longtime dwarf player, and he just added in some thing, you know, new toys that his army got, and he really, you know, made it work. Um, so... I kind of learned that uh, it really, you know, having a lot of practice with a certain type of army um, pays off in the end. Because uh, I don't think anybody else at the time was playing dwarves uh, and winning major events with dwarves, even with the new Steel Behemoths. Like, the Steel Behemoths were good, but they weren't tournament winning good because it seemed like the dwarf army still lacked the mobility that they've always lacked and sometimes they have difficulties with certain certain scenarios the fact that alex was able to bring one home for the dwarves uh I, was was pretty impressive did play brad i did the brad put on you the main thing I learned I is that every every good plan can uh, just fall apart to good dice. Uh, so I th- I again I felt really confident going into the game. Uh, you know d- my deployment, my the scenario, 
it was uh, it was pillage. You know, I have a lot of little, small, fast units that are going to be able to kind of scatter and get onto those tokens late. I had a you know a large amount of shooting that I would be able to focus fire in on his uh, honestly pretty fragile hordes of uh, chariots. And I, I just really felt like I had a great game plan going in. It was the right scenario for me going in. And deployment-wise, I set up to to take second turn because I knew the scenario with Pillage, I needed to be able to get on those tokens that were going to be open on the last turn. You know, the whole goal was just beat them by one token. But I won the roll-off for first turn, and I gave it to him, and I lost... Uh, about two or three units more than I was expecting first turn to his shooting. So best laid plans still fail because it's a dice game. So that's really the big thing that I learned there. Well, in the next Masters, what did you learn from Eric Shorebridge? Well, that was New York. So I didn't get the privilege of playing Eric, but he and I uh, he and I were able to talk. And uh, especially over the past couple of years, uh, he's probably the one uh, Masters uh, winner that I've grown closest to um, just because uh, he's out of the Midwest. It's, uh, you know, where he's located, it's not necessarily close, but he's really close with the Minnesota guys that are only like five hours away from us here in Omaha. Um, So we get to see and play with him quite a bit and go to different tournaments that he's at uh, frequently. As far as... uh, you know, having a successful master's run, I think uh, the big thing that I learned from him was uh, sometimes you just need to avoid certain matchups because <laughs> um, he looked at Travis and he looked at me and he said, oh, hell yeah, I'm so glad I didn't play either of you two at that master's. <laughs> He's like, Travis would have just shot all my orcs off the board uh, and then he didn't he didn't want to play my elf list uh he also didn't want to play uh jeff shulkin so much at the time too which all of us ended up playing each other because we were just that you know a couple points beneath him and the the guy he played on the top table going into the last couple rounds you got to get lucky with matchups sometimes it's not uh it's not always going to be this army can beat every single army at the event it's this army beat the six armies it got paired up against. What did Keith Conroy uh, teach you? Keith, I think, really showed me. Uh, I, I had the pleasure of playing Keith at New York Masters. So I played him before he was a master, and then I got to play him uh, this year at Masters as well. And uh, in both games, uh, it was very, he plays a very unique style of game where a lot of people look at the game and look at the armies and say, okay, I get, you know, I have to kill a lot of my opponent's stuff or I have to kill these things in my opponent's armies for uh, for my game plan to work or that's what my army does. The way Keith plays his herd list is he focuses on the objective from turn one. In, in our game this year, uh, we played uh, Plunder, uh, the one with five tokens across the center, so the extended loot, essentially. And from turn one, his whole goal his whole mission was i don't care if i have one thing left on the board as long as i have these two token these two two point tokens at the end that's what it takes to win and i think you know that might catch a lot of players out luckily i had 
played him once before. So I, I knew that I needed to be cognizant of the objectives uh, earlier in the game than what I might otherwise be used to, because it came down to he had one of the two point objectives at the end of the game uh, on his last remaining unit. And uh, it was damn close to him having both of them on his uh, on his uh, moon moon fang. So focus on objectives early and often and sometimes you don't need to kill anything to win a game that's what i'd say i learned from keith now we're in a position where you're the u.s master what do you want to convey what's the tip what's the tip you want to share to the next generation you know i hope that i i'm able to be a uh kind of a um a signal for um focusing on list building first and play the list a hundred times like this list that i had that i won masters with i started building this list uh probably october or november of last year and it's gone through changes it's gone through iterations there was a a, a clash kings update that a couple months after i started making this list that influenced and uh you know there was a couple units that weren't even available like the horror riff weavers that are in my list don't be afraid to change your list to try new things but also don't be hasty to do the same thing so it's really about repetition uh getting uh, lots of games lots of different scenarios and lots of practice against very uh, different types of lists in order to really master and know your own list better nothing worse than going to a uh to a game and you know your opponent's an expert at the list that you're playing. If they know your list better than you do, I feel like there's no way you win the game. So uh, know your list better and know its capabilities. So you mentioned you tweaked a little, a little bit when Clash of Kings came out or Rift Weavers became really good. At what point in the process, and I should mention this is a question from Felix Castro, at what point in the process be like this is the freaking list this this is the really really good list at what point did the light bulb come on at least early on it never really crossed my mind that this list was going to perform as well as it has i would say it was probably as late as like lone wolf um when i won five games at lone wolf and uh you know against the the quality of players that i played at lone wolf uh, I kind of realized that this list is uh, has the potential to go the distance and you know win a tournament. Um, you know that I mean that's always the you know the hopes and the dreams, but uh, y- you know you never get uh, the quality of practice that you can get by attending a tournament. So the the player quality and the variance that you can get at a tournament is never something you can truly simulate, uh, no matter how many games you play. So um, it, it really took the first official tournament uh, with this list for me to uh, really have that moment of, okay, I got a shot. One of the themes here is you finally realized you're, to, win the, to be a master, you had to jump off the elf bandwagon. Right. <laughs> What's your message to Keith Randall, who just won't give up that that bandwagon? Um, well, I think my message to Keith is going to be: uh, I was, you know, the number one elf player when we were both playing elves. So, yeah, I, 
maybe now I'll just go back to elves and keep, you know, keep beating Keith at being the best elf player. You never know. But um, uh, it, it wasn't necessarily the fact that I um, think that elves can't win a Masters. I think they absolutely can. It's just that I was uh, growing a little tired and bored of the uh, play style with the number of tournaments I attend and the number of games that I want to get in to really kind of perfect the play style of an army. Nobody wanted to play my elves anymore. And the whole goal of that elf list that I was playing was uh, the way it won was preventing my opponent from playing a game. I would shoot you and then I would charge you. And the whole goal is I kill you before you get to roll any dice against me. Um, which in the end, I kind of realized that it's I'm denying my opponent playing a game, um, which at the master's level is fine, but you know, you don't want to take that to a one day event and you know, locals that maybe don't travel and stuff like that, play them with things like that. So, um, really, I wanted to change it up to play more of a, um, a play style that would be enjoyable for my opponent as well as for me. Um, and I also, uh, I transferred over to EOD, um, which allowed me to really get into the, uh, uh, the theory and nitty gritty of a surge army, um, which is one thing that I honestly struggled with before I played it uh, myself. So that was the whole intent behind changing armies um elves still have a special place in my heart i will still pull them out every once in a while or on ub uh to give them a test run and uh turns out silver breeze are still good so that that's what i have to say about elves so kenny heiser wants to know you know at some point you're going to get to orc town gt what would you take for orc allies in your list I'm not familiar with orc town gt uh so you, I mean, you would get 300 you would get 300 points of orcs to go with that army. Gosh, 300 points is all, huh? Well, I think that personally, I would probably, I'd probably try to fit in either. I'd probably try to fit in a giant maybe if I could, but that might be tough. I don't know if they have an un, uh, regiment unlock. That's going to be around uh, 80 points or so. Um, if you only get 300 points for the allies. So if I can't do that, then I might try to take a horde of uh, either axe or young axe uh, and then like a uh, mounted crudger or crusher, the the three attack ones, and just kind of call it a day and say, I got a big block of nerve here and then I get a nice little individual that could go around punching stuff or go hunt other individuals. So that might be what I take, but um, I definitely would be uh, play testing several different options before committing to anything. Absolutely. Uh, this is from Alec Hart. What army do you consider the most effective counter to your night soccer list? Hmm. Oh, should I be spilling all those secrets? Uh, well, I mean, aren't you like 16 to know at this point or something at tournaments yeah. with that list? So maybe yeah, there is no answer. The answer uh, is the rules committee. <laughs> no. Um, uh, high, high defense armies, defense six specifically. Um, it, it struggles taking down uh, 
greater earth elementals, wilt fathers, um, Shobik, uh, just hordes of earth elementals. Um, if you have enough defense six uh, and enough support uh, behind them, whether that's heal or like drain life from EOD, um, you know, mummy regiments, it, uh, it and kind of have to have the right snare because a lot of those things are pretty slow units in general but um those types of things are really tough for my army to just come in and and kill um and overwhelming uh overwhelming units is really the whole purpose of the list so if you're able to maintain an even battle line and uh just have kind of that uh immovable wall um it can really um, hurt the units that I have and specifically soul flares. So I would say for everybody out there that's struggling with soul flares, um, making, I mean, it, it's, it's tough to do it because the soul flares are so mobile, but, uh, soul flares definitely don't want to hit, uh, defense six units, even in the flank. They'll just get countercharged and mowed down after that. So Nick McAlonis says, you know, when the rules committee smashes the Night Stalkers, the Night Stalkers and Ogres next year, which army will you go to next? But bigger question, you know, if, you know, if there are changes, do you, do you anticipate some changes to the Night Stalker list? And if so, are, is, it, is that going to persuade you to, hey, sign to move to a new, a new army or you just going to retool or what's the plan? Oh, I'm already looking at moving to a new army because uh, uh, kind of similar to like the elves when I wanted to switch away from them. Um, you know, I, I don't want, uh, and I, I don't know why I have this mentality necessarily, but I don't want to just keep playing something that just keeps winning. Uh, I want to play something new that'll win. Um, so, uh, even before the new clash of Kings comes out, you know, whatever that might be, um, I'll be dabbling with a couple other lists, but, uh, at this point I kind of refusing to go to anything with the greater air elementals, because I think they're probably the most abusable unit in the game right now. Um, and matchup wise, I felt pretty uh, fortunate not have to play any this weekend. Um, because they um, can ruin the best laid plans by themselves. So um, I don't know exactly what army, but I'll be playtesting a bunch of different lists, different play styles, and uh, then just kind of going from there. Uh, probably won't settle on anything until after getting a couple months of playtesting uh, when the new cock comes out. So uh, it won't be Night Stalkers. It might be an army I've played before. Uh, whether that's elves or EOD, but who knows? I try to pick things that aren't just the the new hotness. Like I said, I was pl- I was planning on playing Night Stalkers before any of the changes that made them good. You know, uh, maybe that next tier up good. Um, it just so happens that Soul Flares were and or Rift Weavers changes were kind of too good not to take in the list style that I was wanting to play anyway. So they just ended up in the list uh, along with all seven other night stalkers that uh, t- brought them to masters. So Keith Conroy wants to know specifically about soul players and horror Rift Weavers, which is the better COK upgrade, which, which was the better 
unit coming out of that Clash of Kings book. Soul players are horror riff weavers. In my mind, it's not even a question. It's horror riff weavers. They were, they were, and have always been my MVP in the army since uh, day one, uh, or Clash of Kings day one. Um, they cover so many different things that I need. Um, the spell ward prevents me from uh, just kind of auto losing to a lightning bolt spam list, which is one of Night Stalker's biggest weakness before spell ward was even a rule. Um, the dread uh, that they provide uh, just helps tilt, uh, you know, combats in the area they're in over the edge. Uh, and I know dread's pretty prevalent in the whole uh, army, but this is one of, if not the cheapest forms of it. And then the fact that they're just a mini giant that hits on threes with D6 plus six attacks at crushing one it, and on a nimble base. it I mean, they could be another 20 or 30 points and I'd still take two. Um, that's how good they are. Uh, if Soul Flares were another 20 or 30 points each, I might just, I might drop down to one or two of them, but um, I, I could actually foresee dropping all of them. So um, that's how much I value the horror riff weavers over anything else in the list. Well, let's talk about your master's experience. How was the trip out to uh, Seattle this year? Yeah, I uh, traveled with Billy, uh, Billy, Travis, and I, all the Omaha guys here. Unfortunately, Travis wasn't able to make it this year. Otherwise, he would have been with us. He was having his fourth kid, uh, which came a week early. So he he was toying with the idea of making it out to, uh, to the Masters, but um, in the end thought it's probably best to stay married. So but yeah, Billy and I flew out, uh, and we flew out Thursday night after work, um, got in early Friday morning to Seattle. It was like 2 a.m., um, and uh, Hank Gouge was getting in about the same time, and luckily uh, for us, Garrett Mercer, or Mercier, um, was already out there and he has family. He grew up in the area. Uh, so he offered to pick all of us up from the airport and let us crash at his sister's place for the night. So we got to save a, a night's worth of hotel room and, um, you know, cut chauffeured around and luckily dodged the, uh, you know, having to figure out a train ride or an Uber at 2 AM. So, um, then he took us to the venue the next day and Garrett was just awesome all weekend, knew the the good places to go for food and uh, sightseeing. And, uh, you know, he was able to uh, drive a few of us at least around the, uh, uh, the city. So um, if it weren't for Garrett, I think that it would have been a, a lot more uh, of a struggle and uh, definitely a lot more on the cost side of things, whether it would be like Uber rides or things like that to get, get places. So a uh, big shout out to Garrett and a big thank you. Obviously you're from an area that's the mountain region. And I know Nebraska is full of mountains. Mm -hmm. So what was it like going to an area like <laughs> Seattle that just, you know, had maybe a few more mountains? Yeah. Yeah. For those of you that don't know, Omaha, Nebraska is in the middle of the plains. So we get a little bit of sand hills out towards the very western panhandle of the state, uh, which is opposite of where I live. So that's about six hour drive away. But otherwise, when you look out uh, and get out of the city, it's all 
pretty well flat and pretty much cornfields and cow pastures. So um, we definitely don't have mountains in Omaha or in Nebraska specifically. Uh, so uh, it's the it's actually the second time I've been out in the uh, Pacific Northwest region. When I was uh, younger, at, like in high school or so, uh, my family took a vacation out there, got to see Mount St. Helens and a couple other sites. So uh, I, you know, I think it's a really beautiful part of the uh, United States. It it has a lot of beautiful features to it um and the uh um i didn't make it down there this time but going down to the uh kind of the fish markets and uh that's just off of like downtown area and doing a boat ride for anybody that got to do that on friday and seeing the wildlife like it's all just a, a gorgeous place you know, you kind of have to prepare for that as part of your master's trip, either be there a, a day or two early or stay a day or two late to kind of see some of those sites. And uh, I've seen, you know, a lot of people on Facebook that were at the event that uh, are still posting pictures because they're still on vacation. And, um, you know, so it's just a gorgeous uh, part of the country out there. Was there any uh, interesting things you saw uh, in Seattle? I think, oh, this is pretty cool. I think my my favorite part of this uh, this trip, as far as sightseeing goes, is uh, again Garrett uh, hooked us up. Uh, we went out uh, on Sunday night. We went out to uh, a local seafood place that was right on a um, kind of a I think it was a bay, but it was this uh, seafood restaurant was a, a pretty nice restaurant, and it uh, had its own like um, docks with all the boats lined up. And it was getting late, so the sun was setting over the water, and it was just a, a gorgeous view outside the window where, uh, from where we were eating dinner. And, um, you know, that it, I think it was called Anthony's uh, Seafood Restaurant. And Garrett was telling me that this uh, restaurant, it, they have a couple different locations across the uh, Seattle area, and that they have their own uh, uh lines of boats and fishermen that catch uh, fresh fish just for the restaurant. So they don't go through a, uh, a distributor or anything. They have their own fleet of boats uh, for, for the food that they serve. And it was easily hands down the best uh, seafood dinner that I've ever had. So it was excellent. So let's talk about this playoff beard you got going. Uh, you got any grooming tips? It's funny you mention it. So the beard, uh, I actually kind of, I don't know if it's superstition or just uh, tradition at this point, but um, I actually shaved it down, not not like completely off, but I shaved it to where you could act, you could see my face pretty well. Um, right before lone wolf because it was the the first tournament that i was playing with the the new list and um kind of mentally going in i just said i'm I, you know i'm gonna let the beard go as long as uh, i keep winning with this army it hasn't been shaved since uh, early april and at this point i'm debating on if i take it to lady of lake or not or i might switch up a couple of units we'll see exactly what i do but lady of the lake's my next tournament and uh, uh probably going to take night stalkers might be a different version of it but uh travis wants to do a uh, conjoined display board with his northern alliance so have a like a battle scene of Northern Alliance versus uh, Night Stalkers, just like the uh, 
the the starter box set. Um, and we have the display piece model with the Dread Fiend fighting um, the Northern Alliance character that um, he wants to use as like the centerpiece. So uh, I think we're going to plan on doing that for Lady. Hopefully it works out and we get it done in time. Um, but that's probably where the Night Stalkers are going. And, you know, who knows? That might be where my beard gets left. So is it the next loss is it when you're going to lose the beard? Yep. Next lost or. Um, next army that's you know ready to go over the table i'll just shave it off start over again awesome now going into this year's masters you had a strong record like going in talk to me about expectations yeah so over the table uh at tournaments the list was 10 and 0 going into masters so i went five wins at uh, lone wolf and five wins at kansas city gt um, which Rob got the, uh, the the brunt end of that one oh, on game 10. Well, so. And when you were talking about these defense six, my defense six didn't do anything. They just died. <laughs> so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I think it uh, it's scenario dependent as well. I went and burned those tokens on that side that you had all your defense six. And, you know, I, the, the dice like I killed stuff that I wasn't expecting to kill. Uh, so I, I think it was just a little bit of luck on my part, but uh, ultimately my game plan, we, we kind of discussed it, but my game plan going in was, okay, I have these two tokens. He has that one token. That's what I want to win by. So, um, but uh, yeah, expectation wise, you know, being 10 and 0 and, going into uh masters with the uh, with the list like you you def- I definitely had high expectations I wanted uh to finish top 5 yeah, at masters so ideally you know 5 and 1 or 5 wins and a draw was what I was really going for um and uh you know part of me was uh <laughs> a little scared um <laughs> because uh, you know, I was uh, pe- pegged as one of the favorites, one of the people that everybody was kind of talking about going into the event. And um, pretty much every other time at Masters that's happened, that person doesn't perform as well as the ex- expectations that have been put on them. So partway expected that everybody's going to be looking at the list, you know, breaking it down, uh, even practicing games against it if they feel like, you know, they they themselves have good shots of being up at the the t- top tables where they would see it. You know, I, I had those expectations going in that I wanted to, you know, do really well myself. But I also knew kind of in the back of my mind that uh, people, I'm not going to surprise anybody with the list that I'm taking. It's going to, it's going to come down to I'll have to play the list to the perfection that I, you know, uh, the highest level that I can play it at and I have to win the scenarios in the end. And I think a big part of the the reason why I was winning was potentially due to the scoring system. Um, Northern Kings is something that really benefits uh, my list and my play style where all 17 of my drops are scoring. So winning the scenario is the the main thing that it wants to do. But when it wins scenarios, it usually wins them very uh, by very large margins um, because I'm able to play uh, every scenario and I'm able to hold 
all the loot tokens. I'm able to control all pillage tokens, all the controls, table quarters. Um, so it it plays scenarios extremely well. It showed because uh, I didn't drop a single scenario point the entire event. I always maxed out plus five for scenario. If we were playing blackjack, would that have tempered your expectations? I don't think it would have tempered expectations uh, because, again, the the first goal, no matter what uh, scoring system you're playing, uh, the win condition is still the same. Um, additional bonus uh, points beyond that are then things that you you only get if you're winning anyway. So. Um, getting the larger uh, victories is something that the list can do very well when it wins the scenario at, at the beginning. I think Blackjack, uh, it, it would have done similar as far as the scenario side of things, but like attrition points, uh, a, a plus only system for attrition helps my list because I'm going to lose. I mean, in the least amount I lost was still over a thousand points this weekend. Um, so I lose half my army almost every game. The goal for me is not to, you know, have a huge attrition difference with this list. It's definitely going to allow you to play, to kill, uh, and to pick up units. The goal is just to have more units than you uh, and get uh, better trades in the end. I, I think that I would still have the same expectations no matter what uh, scoring system we would use. Regardless of the army you're playing, do you have a preference between Northern Kings and Blackjack? Not necessarily. I think they're both good systems. They both have their uh, ad, uh, advantages uh, from a player side, from a TO side. I've grown to like Northern Kings, uh, but I do know the potential downside of Northern Kings, um, which is essentially, since it's only a positive uh, scoring system, there could be some handshake deals at the end of a game or end of a tournament that and players can score points that maybe they didn't deserve. Um, so I, I don't like the idea of that, but I trust that, you know, especially at Masters and whatnot, I trust that the players aren't doing those types of things to, to kind of game the system. And, you know, the dishonesty uh, would be concerning from coming from the Kings of War community as a whole. I, I just don't, I don't think that would happen. So do you think there's room for a, another scoring system? Yeah, absolutely. I think there is opportunities out there. I just, uh, I don't think that there are, uh, I think that the scoring systems we have right now are still very strong, very usable. I, I don't think that they're bad by any means. Uh, but one thing personally I've uh, considered and have done in like one days and other events is the idea of uh, instead of having just a simple three-tier uh, win-draw-loss, having it spread into a five-tier. So a, uh, a major victory, a minor victory, a draw, a uh, minor loss, major loss, um, to kind of expand upon the, uh, the tier system. Um, so... Uh, I think it would probably work best out of a uh, similar to like a blackjack system out of a 21 point system where you start at like major wins being like a 14 points win, a minor win being around like a 12 points uh, and then 10 points for the draw and then eight and seven for the bottom side. So that that I think could um 
you know, be, be useful. Uh, I haven't fully fledged out a system or anything, but I like the idea of it um, because I think it does what we want out of the, like the Northern Kings and the blackjack system, which is, you know, some games uh, when you lose by a single victory point. So one token, when there were seven on the board, you know, being a 15, five just doesn't feel right. So uh, you know, having that being uh, a minor victory where it's like a 12-8, that feels a little bit better. And then, you know, you add your attrition in there at that point. So I, I think that there's definitely opportunities uh, for a system, uh, a different system style. Um, but is it necessary where we're at right now in Kings? No, I don't feel like it's necessary. Obviously, uh, different different uh, scoring systems will affect the way people build lists, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll right. You know, it'll affect what you see on the table. So it's always interesting to have new... I mean, for me, that's just, that's one of the things I enjoy is the new scoring systems or different scoring systems because I think it just it moves the goalposts a little bit, right? So we're not always in the Absolutely. same same goalposts and the same armies are having the same advantages. So uh, that's awesome. You know, were you thinking, you know, obviously it's going in 10-0. Uh, it's my year to win it. Or were you a little less confident or? No, I was, I was less confident than that because of uh, kind of some of the things I had mentioned before the going in as uh, a favorite in some sense and people, uh, you know, I was talked about on multiple counter charge episodes, uh, even, you know, like matchup casts and stuff like that uh, leading up to the events, uh, you know, the, there was, talks of me my list and whatnot so didn't actually have the expectation of winning it all because uh, i felt like i was you know jinxed or uh had have a little bit too much spotlight on me i'd much rather come in as an underdog and uh you know kind of show people up with something they've never seen before but uh you know i took this list to two other tournaments leading up to the event and uh, it performed better than expected at those events so you know it kind of just naturally happened that way so luckily i was able to just kind of ride that high ride that wave and uh pull out six wins at masters so in a lot of ways i got lucky but uh, i felt confident in the way that i played and uh what the list was capable of that i i could get six wins i just wasn't expecting it the table layouts and stuff you walked into that room, you saw the terrain. Do you enjoy it when tables are all set up the same? I do at a master's event. I, I would say that's the one event where I thoroughly enjoy having a, um, a map a map pack laid out specifically built for the scenario it's tied to. Um, I think that it allows uh, uh, every player an equal opportunity at that point um, because I... You know, I have been to events. I've even had it hosted at uh, Bug Eater myself where a certain table with a certain scenario, whether that's like a dominate or, you know, a, a loot tokens, you know, it, certain one, uh, the way terrain is set up can hinder scenarios and impact the outcome of a game. And that's the last thing you want at Masters specifically. Um, so if everybody's playing on the same table, uh, you know, effectively um, and has the same opportunities, uh, you know, there's still going to be advantages from picking sides of those tables and whatnot. But 
there's not going to be a huge detriment of, oh, I had to play dominate and there was this huge impassable piece in the middle of my deployment zone and that's why I lost. So I enjoy it from a master's perspective. What did you think of the the quality of train or the layout of train, uh, the size of train, you know, uh, for this year's Masters? That is one thing that I I would like to see uh, a change in for uh, at this year's Masters. Um, the the different tables there were some significant size differences, uh, especially when it came to like the impassable pieces of terrain. Um, there, you know, with the map packs, uh, you, you know, you're going and setting up and on one table, I had a, uh, you know, a piece of impassable that was actually a reasonable size for, you know, what it shows in the diagram, um, that looks like it fit the area and blocked off the area it was intended to. And then there were other tables that I had a, you know, two impassable pieces that were the size of a, a coaster. They couldn't even block off the flank of a infantry regiment so uh having those uh you know that kind of that big of a variance uh really um you know defeats the the purpose of that equality of map packs uh you know i i don't expect it to be perfection where every piece of terrain is the exact same size as every other on every other table but um uh the the impassable pieces specifically caught my attention and um i don't i don't think they necessarily impacted the outcome of any games that i played personally but uh, i could definitely see them not achieving the goal of equality across all tables when it comes to having a map pack uh, and same terrain at the masters yeah so it's not just the number of pieces it's the size of the pieces correct Awesome. Well, let's get into game one. I played uh, Marcelo from the North, uh, not North uh, Atlantic, Mid-Atlantic. From Philadelphia. He was one of the battle pilgrims, right? Yeah, he was. And uh, he brought his own pilgrims to the table. He was playing or, uh, Order of Brother, Brother Mark. So is that an army that you're like, yeah, this is an easy one? Or is this, uh, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, Brother playing Order of the Brother Mark? Don't really get a whole lot of practice against a uh, uh, order the brother mark list specifically, but looking at the list and comparing it to other lists that I do get a good amount of practice against, it really reminded me a lot of uh, like Billy Henninger's Varinger type list, a very heavy cav base list, a lot of speed aid, heavy hitting units, very much looking for alpha strike. Uh, and it's, you know, led by Valayan skirmishers, which counterparts are snow foxes and the Varinger. So, um, and then he has some uh, infantry units. And uh, the the big thing that's different between the comparison is the horde of paladin monster slayers, the, uh, the knights uh, on foot. Realistically, going into the game, uh, I liked my uh, odds, my chances, uh, just because he... Uh, I felt like he didn't have much for a long-range threat, so that meant that we had to get in combat. Um, and I felt like he has to invest so much into killing my front line of my scarecrows and like my butcher flesh rippers uh, that he has to commit those hammer pieces, the the 250 plus point knights, to kill a 130 point. Uh, a uh, horde of scarecrows or 110 points butcher flesh ripper. Um, and then, you know, defense five, 15, 17, that's 
pretty average. That's kind of what I know I have to be able to break when I charge in. So um, knowing that uh, I'll just have a good counter punch once he comes into those lines was ultimately the whole goal. And then finding out we're playing control, um, I felt very confident with the scenario uh, going in matchup uh, for the matchups because he had 10 scoring units um, and I had 17. Uh, so control was uh, a scenario that I would put myself ahead uh, before the matchup comes in. But uh, Marcelo was a, a great player, great guy. I was a little concerned going in because uh, I heard that he played against uh, Jeff Shulkin, which is somebody that I put on high standards. Uh, and he played Jeff at Adepticon uh, just a few months before Masters here. And uh, Jeff said he played very well. The Knights hit a lot harder than he expected and that it was an extremely close game that Jeff ended up pulling out in the end. But you know, when, when Jeff Shulkin's giving you high praise, that's something that I need to take uh, take into consideration and definitely don't take the list lightly. So even though I liked my, you know, the I like the theory hammer going into the game, it was definitely something that I wasn't going to uh, take the matchup lightly. So in the game, uh, you know, my, my game plan ultimately worked. Uh, Marcelo got for a turn and by top of turn two he had uh two or three units engaged into my lines and the uh the scrum kind of began there um and when the dust settled i had um enough units to control all the table quarters uh at the end of the game let me back up a little bit and rewind you know this is order of the brother mark travis brought an order of the brother mark list to kansas city gt which is a little bit which is significantly different but i want to i'm just curious his list was more infantry with a couple units of knights and shooting, including mm-hmm. the trebuchets. Does that list scare you more than the all knight list with the with the with the infantry? Not specifically that list, just because the shooting he has is hitting on fives and it's all affected by stealthy. Yeah. So, like his crossbowmen uh, and the trebuchets. I mean, dice can be dice, uh, but even if he has one or two really good rounds of shooting early on, um, I still have a lot of units with a lot of unit okay. strength, and the uh, the crossbowmen aren't going to hold up in combat. The trebuchets aren't going to, you know, they're not going to consistently pick up a unit per turn. So um, now Travis and I have talked and that brother, brother Mark list is, uh, an absolutely an all around, just very fluffy list. That's, uh, it's not built for the intent of winning any tournaments. It's built because, uh, Tim Lonis had some really cool models and he wanted to print it out and he had us take it to tournaments to kind of show off his model lines. So it, it's more of an advertisement army than anything else. Yeah. But you hit, I think you hit on something that's important is that uh, if you have a big enough Night Stalker army, you can mitigate the lucky blows. Stealthy doesn't protect you from there, there are going to be lucky hits, right? And you are low defense. And if you have a, a crazy round of artillery and then whack a couple of units, some army builds, it could be devastating. You know, you lose two soul flare units, for example, right. and it's like, oh, I'm on the back foot. But, you know, you've got, as you said, 17 units. So, and they all score. Yep. 
Yep. And that's that's really uh, the big key to the list. <laughs> it's it, I mean, the units that I take are good quality for their points, but uh, having that many scoring drops, it allows you to be in every scenario. We have not seen this list of yours against Travis's Goblins list yet, right? Nope, probably what, won't happen. What about Lady of the Lake? No, Travis taking Northern Alliance. He finished second at your event with Northern he Alliance. Did. He's, he's he going for the first. He uh, wrecked wreck some face. I don't think people were expecting it to be so offensive. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So how did your game? So you mentioned you got all six sections. So it must have been a big mm-hmm. win uh, in the first round. It was. Uh, Marcelo had one individual left, which was five points shy of the uh, maximum uh, five points uh, for kill bonus. Um, so I got a 24-point win in the end. Was there any standout like uh, – tactical decisions that either of you could have made that made it, you know, Oh, if this would have happened, it would have swung the game differently or it just kind of played out as you expected. Um, well, it played out as I expected when Marcelo engaged on turn two, um, after the game we talked and he, you know, he asked me, he's like, what, you know, what would you do differently if you had my list first year, you know, uh, and I, I told him that it's not really fun or ideal, but uh, engaging early is probably not the best call. I told him if we started fighting on turn four or five and, you know, we're fighting across that middle line. So, you know, you know ideally he sets it up to where it's not advantageous for me to push uh, at him so, so quickly. Um, so if he's able to kind of hold me at bay uh, for three or four turns and then we start engaging, said that ultimately the idea would be that you have enough units alive and enough unit strength that you're controlling the sides on your side of the board. Um, and then maybe using some of the skirmishers to try and run around and, you know, uh, contest uh uh, my sides that had maybe one unit strength over on on a far flank or something. So that was something we we discussed. It, it's probably the best option, but it's still not um, not great. Just because I think it's a it's a difficult matchup with the scenario that we were playing. It's uh, really hard to kind of overcome um, the the amount of units that you have to deal with. Yeah, I mean, you have the advantage on attrition, right? Like just being able to – you've got units you can throw away. Yep, in comparison, absolutely. And you have more units to spread out. And so – but I think, you're, I think you're right, though. I think I think the play is delay, 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 right? And, and don't engage, mm-hmm. and, you know, because, I mean, he is – if he protracted combat, he's going to be the loser long term. So delay that as long as you can uh, in the hopes that maybe you get lucky in, in, a, in a region or something. And late game, you're able to maybe grab a, grab a, 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 a section of the board that – you know, you didn't see coming, but uh, it's uh, it's a tough list. You have a very good list for that for that specific uh, scenario. Twenty four zero or twenty four to what was the final? Twenty four to. Um, he got seven or eight points off of me because awesome. he had you know five points for a loss, and I think he got two or three points for kills. So he Perfect. killed a decent amount of my army. 
game two was pillage and I was playing against Bart Kohler and his uh, Trident Realms. So you had to just crap out of one battle pigram. That wasn't enough. You wanted to, you want to take the whole clan out. What's up? Hey, I didn't pick the matchups at all. So <laughs> um, if, if I had my way, I wanted to get revenge on uh, Billy's uh, first round opponent, which would have been Alex Chavez. So uh, yet again, another mid Atlantic player, but uh you know, Bill, Billy lost his first round to Alex, um, and Alex and I were on the same point. So I had my fingers crossed because Alex and I have never played, but it wasn't meant to be. Would that would that be your game this time, or do you think Alex would have got the better of you? Uh, you know, it. I don't know. It has to come. It ha- has to actually happen on the table. All right, fair enough. Be politically correct. Stay on that. Straddle that line. I get. I'm it. not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna theory that one until it's scheduled. So. But you did have Bart standing in front of you, and you're playing pillage. You gotta I like did. pillage again for the same thing, the same reasons we talked about. Seventeen units, all in, all scoring. Yes, I like it, but that uh, Trident Realms and specifically the uh, list that Bart was bringing is is very tough uh, for me to play, and especially against pillage um, because he had he had. Two uh, two coral giants, a kraken. He had two hordes of gigas, a regiment of placoderms, and then he took uh, I think three regiments of thule. Two of them from the formation. So he had the uh, character in the formation. He had the naiad centurion with the drowned tridents, uh, the disorder shooting thing, and then he had another caster that had uh, scorched earth. His list is, and he even told me, is like, yeah, my list doesn't look like much on paper, but it plays scenarios really well. And I, I absolutely saw it because uh, he had control of three tokens on his side of the board. And I had, um, uh, I wasn't, I don't, I don't really like sitting on the tokens. I don't really have a unit that just sits there and controls a token outside of maybe a scarecrow horde. If it's like on a far flank that it's not going to do anything for the rest of the game. Um, So uh, I had tokens in my deployment zone, but I decided I needed to push up with everything and form uh, a battle line with all 17 of my units. And I knew that I had uh, enough time uh, and specific units that are able to uh, get back and jump on those tokens at the very last part of the game, if need be. Ultimately, each of us had control of three tokens, and there was one in the middle that uh, we were going to be fighting over, um, or at least that was kind of the general uh, idea of how our battle lines were set up. Um, and I uh, decided that the I needed to be aggressive uh, against Bart um, and push up and, uh, specifically to allow my soul flares to get better angles um, because the soul flares are the one thing that really helps me win this particular matchup against Trident Realms. Um, they can get in flanks um, and they can pick up uh, most of the uh, unit types that Bart was taking outside of maybe a Kraken or a, uh, a Coral Giant if they hit a flank. Um, so I was able to, uh, you know, find those uh, those just minor mistakes or, you know, minor movement adjustments that Bart could have uh, done 
um, and I was able to get a couple of flanks with the soul flare specifically that allowed me to break a hole or two in his line, um, which then allowed for the rest of my units to, to push through. So uh, once the soul flares open up a hole, the horror riff weavers, the butcher flesh rippers, they're able to get nimble charges uh, around and into flanks. Um, which allow me to pick up the Trine Realm units that otherwise I'm not gonna not gonna pick up over several turns in the front with the ensnare. So, um, yeah, I, uh, Bart um, really had me on the back foot to start though because of uh, he had a, another special character that I forgot to mention uh, at the beginning. Kairosh, Hunter of the Deep. Kairosh, yep. He scouts and he doubles his attacks against uh, monsters large cav and titans essentially he scouts and he speeds seven with wild charge d3 so he uh bart won the uh, first turn roll and i um you know kind of being uh an idiot and just not really respecting that character uh i put my soul flares just on the front lines uh, in the middle of my army and he was able to get a top of turn one charge into a soul flare did not give him enough respect or credit it actually took me like three turns to control kairosh and finally uh beat him down with a horror riff weaver um before i was able to actually commit to the rest of bart's army um so we we had a very cagey game for four rounds. There was, wasn't much in combat outside of Kairosh and a, a couple of uh, scarecrows on, uh, on one of my flanks that I threw up into a coral giant. Um, and he said, okay. And he just kept backing up so that I kept getting a hindered charge, hindered ensnare charge against the coral giant. And he would iron resolve the one wound I would do. And it was just a, non-contest uh over there essentially but once we finally engaged i got a flank against the placoderms uh with the uh, soul flares which allowed me to um again open up that hole that i was talking about and then uh, turn around and look at the the back of his army so it uh that that one charge that I was able to get uh, was the thing that kind of opened the rest of the game up for me. And in the end, uh, it ended on turn six, and Bart had quite a bit left. He had all of his Titans left, a couple of his characters left, and he had killed quite a bit of mine. I only had half my army left at that point. So I think we both got just a plus three for attrition. Um, but again, my army was able to just scatter and I was able to hold five tokens to Bart's two at the end. So what was the score coming out of that? I got a 23 point win and I think Bart got like a, an 11 point loss or a 10 point loss, which is definitely not a bad, uh, bad outcome for him. So the next game I'm real eager to hear about because you got to play <laughs> Countercharge's own Jeremy Duvall. So he's playing his Twilight Kin. What what scenario did we play in third round? Played push in third push. round. Yep. And what do you what do you think of push? I love push. I I got scarecrows that love holding tokens and they just walk up the board. Um, Is there a scenario that you don't like? Uh, not, not really. Yeah. With this army, I'll play any scenario and I, I'll never complain, which is the only army I can say that. Yeah. 
So going into round three, uh, I know most people probably uh, know already that there was a, a issue with the matchups that people that were playing each other uh, maybe shouldn't have been playing each other uh, as far as where they were record-wise at that point, which uh, did affect Jeremy's in my game. I was 2-0 and and Jeremy was 1-1. and We had talked even before the game started and, you know, both kind of agreed that we were upset at the situation and that the the fact that there could there was then the possibility that there were two undefeated players at after round six because of this uh particular issue the, the good old, news is though after round three we ended up with nine undefeated players right instead, instead of eight so at that point we knew that oh it's it's going to work itself out yeah exactly so i mean in the end it, it absolutely worked out in the moment you know uh passion passionate he's a passion, passionate young man passion took jeremy over yeah we've, we've all seen it out of jeremy before but uh you know in the end uh, you know i when we were talking, I told Jeremy, I'm like, well, yeah, you're you're playing a two and oh, you're a one and one, but realistically at this point, it's not unreasonable for you to be a two and oh. So there's no reason that you shouldn't be playing at, at this particular table. And, and, so. and to be fair, it's the US Masters, right? You know, right. It, it would be the same if we had two random draws back to back, right? Like at the end of the day, yeah. we had good players there. This two is issue overcome. We got to it and I uh Going into this, I, Twilight Inn was actually one of the few armies that I was uh, wanting to get practice games against. But um, of the people that I know that play Twilight Inn, they're pretty much all at this event. So I didn't, uh, you know, Jeremy and I actually had a game that we were trying to schedule before the event to play each other to get practice with. Um, but it never worked out. I was glad we got to play each other at the event. Um, but uh, kind of playing against the Twilight Inn, I knew some of the things they could do, especially with Lothiel that just kind of, you know, uh, stops all of my defensive abilities, you know, takes away stealthy, takes away spell ward, um, and allows him to really focus in on units, um, that, uh, I otherwise wouldn't, um, wouldn't feel as threatened with. So, uh, I, I didn't know really what to expect going in. Um, but with push, uh, and after deployment, um, my left flank, I uh, I put my tokens on a, uh, a uh, scarecrow horde that was over there because the only thing that was across from them was a um, dread fiend uh, character and a troop of harpies. Um, so I I looked at it as there's not a lot of attacks coming out of those units. Uh, so even if he just come straight at me i'll have time to turn things from the center of my army over to there to clean up the the two units that he sends at me so that was my game plan going in and jeremy put his tokens on the opposite flank on both of his uh impaler units his goal was to try to push through and push uh just form a battle line uh so his goal was to form a battle line kind of a denied flank on the the far right and then control the the center with his shooting um and and uh spell casting and then try and push up the combat side on that far right flank um and uh again this was one that uh kind of surprised me he uh um 
I threw all my stuff forward uh, pretty much as fast as I could. Uh, Jeremy got first turn. That'll be a theme that you'll notice is that I'll have second turn every single game. Bottom of turn one, I just throw all my stuff up as far as it'll go. And uh, turn two, Jeremy decides to charge his uh, uh, horde of uh, the blade blade dancers um, and his two regiments of glade stalkers out into my lines and uh he he picks up my butcher flesh ripper and one of my hordes of scarecrows doing this but the rest of his army is a little bit further back and further over to the right hand flank so this was kind of his centralized uh uh detachment um which i kind of promptly just swallowed up the the next turn i was able to you know use the soul flare on my left flank that was moving up to get into the flank of uh one of the glade stalker units and then i was able to just uh run the other one other glade stalker over with the troop of reapers um so you know he punched a hole in my army but there's just a, a floodgate that comes in after that so uh, I was able to kind of clean up the middle there, and um, he was uh, delaying my uh, token carriers on the left flank, so I had to kind of split that force then, and I moved units to help support the scarecrows that were carrying the tokens, and then I moved uh, quite a bit, or the majority of that central force over to the right flank to deal with his tokens and the rest of his army at that point. Um and in the end, Lothiel did her thing. He blew up a unit a turn plus one most of the time because he was able to eliminate Spell Ward and Stealthy. So he was able to get uh, quite a few wounds on a single unit and then uh, put some overkill onto a different unit. Uh, and there were two or three turns in the middle of the game where he picks up a, a unit or two a turn from his shooting um, just because it takes me a while to get to those particular characters and units also the hex that i had on my dread fiend just failed me pretty much all weekend except for one game but uh so it was uh it was uh, a rough rough game tough climb i lost probably like 1500 points i think in the end in this game but ultimately i was able to uh eliminate the couple units that were delaying my left hand flank get my tokens across and then i was able to clean up uh pretty much everything except for um i think two units it was the other um uh fiend uh, uh fiend character and i think one of his individuals that was left alive but that's because we went to turn seven and i was able to pick up like two units on turn seven that i otherwise wouldn't have been able to um but even turn six i was controlling all five of the tokens at that point so um, I had the, the win pretty comfortably in hand on six and seven. What tips would you give Jeremy if he had to replay the game? Was there anything he could have done a little better? A similar tip to what I uh, told to Marcelo, which is uh, delay. Coming in on turn two, especially with only part of your force, just really plays into my army. And uh, honestly, it's it plays into a lot of armies, uh, I would say. That usually just as a general tactic or tip is it's not ideal to use, you know, to 
push uh, a couple of your units into combats, uh, especially when they're outnumbered and there's units behind for a counter, unless you're setting up your own counter maneuver. When they, so it's it you know unless it becomes a trade battle like a chess pieces where your pawn takes a pawn, they take your pawn, you take their next piece, and then the next piece could say like if you can get that trade, then it's perfectly fine. But um, Jeremy kind of pushed those units out there and then didn't support them. Like he had his shooting backed up, but his shooting could have done what they did without him committing the units that he did. So um, I think ultimately the best play uh, again would be try and delay, try to utilize your range advantage to uh, pick up units uh, and then commit the the units to combat when they're in range of the rest of your shooting as well. So you're picking up com- units in combat, picking up units at range, and then it's more of an even trade at that point uh, versus a, you know, you killed two of my units, but I picked up three of your units on the, the return. So, uh, and I have more units to start with. So it's, uh, it's clearly a good trade in my, my opinion for me. You're done with day one. You're three and oh, mm-hmm. you know, I think you were still, still way ahead of everybody. I think because you had three big victories. Did you not? Yeah, I got 24 points out of uh, the last game with Jeremy, but there was one person sitting ahead of me. So I was uh, second, uh, uh, I was sitting at second place by myself. And who, um, who was who was in first place? It was Keith Conroy. Yeah, my, so last year's must, Masters. Yeah, so you must be thinking, okay, tomorrow I'm going to have to play Keith. I so mean, how, how did that? Know, how did that Saturday night go? You know, Saturday night after the games were done, like it was a long day. Um, one of the things that was kind of rough for me and uh, the guys in my region was starting at 10 o'clock, which felt like noon for us. It was, just felt so late. And then, uh, you know, we, we had a couple of delays during the day for the first day. So it wasn't until like seven o'clock we were getting out of there. So really, like mentally, I was just done. I was like, all right, it'll be nice to know who I'm playing, but I'm going to look at that like right before I go to bed and I'm just going to enjoy going out, getting some food, just relaxing and hanging out with my regional guys and talking about our games. Ultimately, that's what I did. And then in the middle of dinner, uh, people were getting their notifications for next round matchup. So everybody's like, oh, you're playing Keith. All right. I actually did see Keith in the hospitality room that night and, you know, we we chatted a little bit before before our game and whatnot. So um, Keith and I go back to uh, New York Masters is the first time I played him. So uh, he wanted to, to get revenge on me after that game. So awesome. What did you guys do uh, Saturday night? Did you guys go anything good to eat? Uh, yeah, we went to a barbecue place that uh, was actually pretty close to the hotel. We we walked. It was about a moonshine. 20- yeah, moonshines. Yep. So uh, it was, you know, again, Garrett's recommendation. Uh, always great to have uh, have a local guy know what what's the place to go. Um, and you know, it was good food, good service. Uh, first time I had some uh, poutine. Uh, there was a bunch of us that went to the the moonshine Saturday night. And, uh, you know, I was sent from Memphis. And as a Memphian, I strongly believe Memphis has got the best barbecue. But I will mm-hmm. say, their barbecue was pretty damn good. It was pretty yeah. good. It was pretty good. 
was right. like, ooh, this, well, this is, you know, it, and I it think, made the fat kid and me smile. <laughs> they they nailed the sauce, I think, was my my favorite. Like, they had a really good, like, North Carolina mustard-based sauce, but then they had a really good, like, just traditional sweet barbecue sauce. So um, I ended up, like, binding the two a little bit and got, got a good mixture out of it. So I was, I was very, very happy with the choice, and I, I ended up getting a... Uh, getting a, a, a brisket burger um, is what I got. And I put, you know, doused it in some uh, barbecue sauce. So it turned into just basically a barbecue brisket burger um, with like blue cheese crumbles on it. So <laughs> it was, it was pretty good. How's the barbecue uh, in Nebraska? Um, you know, it's, uh, uh, I, I cook my own brisket. Uh, smoke my own brisket here in Nebraska. So uh, we got some good barbecue in like Kansas city, which is only two and a half hour drive. Um, But there's not like a go-to barbecue place here in Omaha. Uh, I would much rather smoke my own brisket or smoke, uh, smoke my own ribs uh, versus going out and getting any that anywhere here in town. So what are your tips for players that are at, that are at this kind of event? How are you preparing for Sunday? Um, I think you got to just, you know, uh, if you're with people that are, are stressing about it, you got to just take their minds off it. And, you know, one of my favorite things to do with that is just let's talk about the games that you played already. You know, a lot of times you break down, uh, you know, the 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 key points in the game you know the thing that uh you know if you lost a game you felt like you shouldn't have you know well what was the turning point what was the thing that you felt lost you the game sometimes it's oh it was these you know bad dice roll or that my opponent got a really good dice roll or it was a true mistake that you could actually learn from like well after combat i should have reformed like this but i didn't realize that he had you know, a withdraw and he could hit me in the flank, you know, so talking through games, realizing uh, what uh, led to a loss or, you know, what led to certain victories and just kind of focusing in on those key moments and, you know, just say a lot of times you learn more from your mistakes. So if you play enough games, you'll make enough mistakes. You'll learn from those mistakes and then you'll hopefully won't make that mistake in the key moments. I think there's easily a lot you can learn from day one going into day two and you can make uh, you can make some changes. Um, so a lot of maybe some of my newer players, I'd say Michael and uh, Tyler, they were uh, both 0-3 after day one. And, you know, I talked to Michael specifically a little bit more that night, and it sounds like um, he had clocked out one of his games, so we gave him crap for that. But the other games, it was, you know, seemed like he was doing well with positioning, focusing on scenarios, just a couple of, you know, dice roll things, and you know, maybe some minor mistakes here or there. And sometimes you just got to talk about it and there's nothing you can do. It's a dice game in certain times. So in the end, he went uh, three wins for his second day. So something worked there. And we're uh, talking about Tyler Schultz and uh, Michael Sigler. Uh, Michael Sigler. Yep. Yeah. So question, Michael likes to flaunt that he's the third best player in the mountain region. <laughs> Does his performance at this year's Masters 
give him that street cred to make that claim. So that's kind of an inside joke. So the way we do scoring in the mountain region is uh, initially it was centered around growing the attendance at events. So getting people to play at events, getting people to travel and go to uh, other events, especially in the mountain region. So what we have is uh, attendance points. You just show up to tournaments, you get points towards masters that easy. If you play well, you get more points. Michael uh, showed up to, I think, every single mountain region event and then a couple other events outside the mountain region that you were able to get a few extra points for. Um, And Michael easily had the highest attendance points for last year's qualification, which his attendance points alone would have put him on the master's team. He would have made top eight for our region. Um, But he did finish in the top half uh, to get a couple more points for two-day events uh, and uh, whatnot. So, you know, especially towards the end of the qualifying season, he was playing his uh, uh, Force of the Abyss and he was doing well with them. So it wasn't just the attendance points, but Again, he's the young guy in the region, some one of the newer guys. So we're just, you know, uh, giving him crap, uh, and it's only because we we love him. So well, he's so tall. I must wonder: is his wall of mediocrity? It must be huge. <laughs> it must be, but uh, all the participation ribbons, <laughs> right? But I mean, ending up three and three at Masters, uh, and. Good I'm trying to, it's a good bounce Yeah, ride. it's great. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to remember if this is his first. I think this is his first year. No, he went to uh, Dallas last year. So it's his second year of Masters. And, you know, going three and three in that room, you know, no matter how you made it there is is a great achievement. So, you know, I, I would say that uh, did he earn his third place? Uh, he earned it by the rules that we had in place, which have now since changed. Um, so, <laughs> so it's harder actually- next year. So he's going to actually have to earn it you know, a little bit more next year. Yeah, so now we're taking, uh, so before we were taking only a single two-day event score. Now we're taking your top two two-day event scores. So you actually have to do well, and it, it essentially lowers the impact of the participation points uh, if you have two two-day scores. So participation points are still very valid way of getting onto the team, but you got to you got to do well at the tournaments too, um, or at least mediocre to, to make the team. So, um, but yeah, I, I would say, I think he and Garrett were both three and three Andrew Mitten finished four and two. So, um, I would say that he's ha- he would have to fight Garrett for uh, third place mountain region for masters as is what I would decide as the you know the chair. Yep. So this is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. I'm Ronnie from Mantic Games, and you're listening to Counter Charge. Well, let's get into game two. You are rocking up. You're playing Keith Conroy. What's the scenario? The scenario is plunder five tokens across the center line, uh, and then each player nominates one to be worth two points uh, instead of one. 
played Keith before. Mm-hmm. He's probably played this army before because he's, he's he's a herd player through and through. What were your thoughts going into the game, and and how did the strategy play out? So my thoughts going into the game were control uh, the beast of nature. I know that they just cause issues and force you to overreact when they get behind your lines. So that was the kind of the first first step is control them. And then second step was just simply force trades early and often. So with his list, uh, he... Uh, again, like most most people against me, he had like 12 scoring units, I think it was. But three of those are troops of harpies. Um, so, you know, units that are pretty well throw away and chaff. But in this scenario, all you need at the end of the game is one unit left with the, the two four-point tokens, which I lost the roll-off for deciding the token. So I had to put declare the two-point token first, which promptly picked the center one because uh, that's where I had the majority of my force focused. And then he picked one next to the center one. So ultimately his game plan was uh, to be fast about going up there, getting the tokens, and then just making, uh, dropping the tokens behind, you know, dropping the tokens and pushing his units forward or flying his uh, harpies over top and uh, preventing me from engaging the unit that just picked up the token. Um, so his, his game plan and uh, again, something that I knew I was going to have to overcome was to uh, keep passing the tokens back essentially, and then just keep feeding me units and keep punching me. Um, and in the end, he wanted to have that unit left with four, uh, two, two point tokens uh, on the board to win the game. And that's how the game started to play out. He ran everything towards the center. I did the same thing. I gave the beast of nature on each flank, like turned one and two, I gave each piece of nature like three or four different flank charges it could choose from. Most of them were against like butcher flesh rippers or hordes of scarecrows. Uh, you know, I basically just offered it out there saying, if you charge them, that's good for me because then you're where something else can attack you and sit you down and control you. And the sooner I eliminate that threat, the sooner that I can turn everything towards the the main goal, which is those two-pointed tokens. I will say probably the the biggest or luckiest part of the game was uh, Keith was able to fly over one of the beasts of nature on my far left flank to get it just beyond my line of sight for the horror riff weaver that I had turned out to face uh, to try and prevent this particular move. But he was able to just squeeze it by. I had uh, kind of mismeasured or was a little lazy in the measurement process. Um, but I also had planned on allowing him to do the same maneuver the next turn because my goal was to bring my mind screeches over from the center to uh, focus down the beast of nature. So the way in which he had to fly, he wasn't able to turn to pivot towards any of my units. So he's not threatening anything for that turn. He flies over and then the next turn he would move and threaten. So I knew I'd have two turns of 12 lightning bolt going into him and he's uninspired um so my goal was to waver him just i was just going to follow him around with a horror riff weaver or butcher flesh ripper to to hit him once he 
uh, after he got wavered. Uh, or if those are unsuccessful, I was just going to throw mine screeches, which are the same height in front of him to prevent him from getting anything else in the rear or flank at that point. Um, so, uh, but the big, <laughs> the big surprise to me was the first turn that I shot lightning bolts at him. I did three wounds and I rolled a box cars and I wavered him. So he, what it, it only took me one turn, which I thought would take two or three to control that particular unit. Um, cause after that happened, I already had a horror riff weaver just facing right at him. So the only thing he could do was just turn to take the front charge from that. And I was able to just keep wavering him and holding him on the ground there for, uh, the next two turns and picked him up in the end. Otherwise, it, it was a very tactical game, very uh, very well played by Keith, movement-wise, very crisp and clean. I would say the only the only mistake uh, that Keith made was I was able to get, it was very close, but I was able to get a uh, troop of Reapers into the flank of the other um, Beast of Nature after he had come in and killed uh, a unit. Um, he the way in which he reformed uh i don't think he was looking at my reapers he was looking at the skeleton horde that was or scarecrow horde that was in front of them and he kept them in his front um, but what i was able to do was i was able to just run forward and pivot uh to where my re open the door for my reapers to charge past so my scarecrows are looking towards a building and not threatening anything but my reapers were able to come in um and that's a dead use of nature <laughs> it, it actually didn't kill it. I, I did. Oh, like, really? Yeah, I did like 10 wounds, which is about average, maybe a, a couple below. But I rolled really low for the nerve. I rolled like a three. And so he punched me back and killed me. But luckily, the next turn, I was able to do a mind fog from the uh, from the mind screeches. And I picked him up Shattering. off of the mind fog. Yeah. yeah. So... Uh, I was out of range of lightning bolts. Otherwise, I would have done that because he only had 10 wounds. But the mind fog pulled through for me. So um, one of the few times that I used mind fog successfully on on those guys. But it, it felt good. So, so what, was the, what was the outcome of the game uh, score-wise? Yeah, in the end, he only had Moonfang left with a two-pointed token. And I had I had a lot of points left because he was just sacrificing unit after unit just to keep the token in his control. I had the win. I got a 24-point win. And he, I think he got like a seven or, or no, no, he got two. So he got like a nine-point loss, I think it was. Not too shabby. So where are you sitting right now? Is that, that puts you... At the top? Uh, that put me at the top, and I think at this time I was tied with uh, Corey Reynolds. We were sitting, just the two of us alone at the top, which, go figure, that's who I had to play in my round five. Corey was playing a Twilight Kin list, right? He was. It was uh, actually very similar to um, Jeremy's Twilight Kin list, uh, except for he had Mikael instead of a second Soulbane. You know, a couple other uh, item choices and points throughout there, but um, 
going into the game because I had played against uh, Jeremy and <laughs> Corey did a, don- a denied flank against me. I, I actually felt very confident um, in in the matchup going into this one. So at this point, I was uh, I don't know. I was kind of you know realizing four and zero. I felt like I got a good matchup. You know, I, I feel really good at this point. You know, I just kind of rode that high and that wave on this game, and this was one of them that was streamed. Sure enough, bottom of turn one, I get lucky. Uh, you know, good dice rolls always help. Uh, he had a regiment of impalers that was outside of inspiring that I did five wounds to, and I rolled an 11 for the nerve. And I so I pick up, you know, a 200-point unit just turn one from my little bit of lightning bolt that I have. And that just really opened the door um, because that was kind of holding down the center, which was his right flank. And it was going to allow me to just push straight up the middle and turn to to close in the the fl- denied flank that he was holding and since it was invade he couldn't hold back and just keep shooting me which is what he really wanted to do so it, it really forced the issue and allowed me to take advantage uh and i was able to get a couple other kind of tricky maneuvers i was able to hit an individual that was in the middle of his lines with a soul flare unit and overrun into the flank of the uh glade stalkers that were right next to it Uh, again it's not a guarantee i i rolled pretty well i did eight wounds i got the nerve test twice that i needed it just really allowed me to pick up multiple units and trade uh very effectively and in the end he had just a soul bane hero uh on Dreadfiend left and i i had half my army pushed across the board um so it, it was a pleasure playing uh, Corey. Corey's been on my list of players I want to play. Uh, this is the first time we've gotten to play. So um, we've danced around each other at Masters before, been very close, but um, just really glad that we finally got the opportunity. Yeah, I've never had the luxury of playing him, uh, but obviously back in the Warhammer days, in the Kings of War, he's got a very good reputation of a, a good hard player that plays gracefully um, mm-hmm. and tactfully. I think he'd be, it sounds like he'd be a great person to play. Absolutely. I mean, he rolled a, a pretty crucial snake eyes early in the game on a, a true snake eyes on a uh, scarecrow horde. Uh, anything but the snake eyes would have killed me, but he, he rolled it. And I think that was like one of his first two nerve rolls of the game. Uh, and it was after I had already picked up his impalers and he just kind of laughs and he's like, I see where this is going. And, you know, just a great, great attitude, even when the dice aren't going his way. And uh, again, a lot of fun. love hanging out with him in, outside of the game. And it was a pleasure to play him on the table. Well, let's talk a little bit about the streaming because you played on the streaming table a few times. What did you think of the streaming setup and the way they use lavalier mics, wireless? I mean, talk to me mm-hmm. a little bit about the setup and did you enjoy it? Did it impact your play? No, it didn't impact my play at all. Um, I I actually thought it was a great idea to have the uh, the wireless mics and it was it worked out well. I I haven't at this point gone back and listened or watched the stream yet, so I don't know how uh, the quality was necessarily. But from what I understand, the uh, um, I'm I don't remember the name. I apologize to whoever you know. You, uh, allowed us to use the cameras and the setup and it's everything. It's a call for Victoria Wargaming. 
Paul, yeah. thank you. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. big thanks to Paul. It sounded like he had high quality stuff and that uh, it went very well for the Dash 28 guys. So big shout out. Thank you, Paul. And thank you to everybody that put in time over the weekend to uh, contribute to the live stream. I know that, uh, you know, anybody that wasn't able to make it over the weekend loves it and loves seeing the content. So just huge thank you to you guys. I'm sure um, Tim, Tim was watching them, right? He's probably stuck to the <laughs> stuck to his iPad or his computer. He, I I'm sure he was. I know that uh, I got Travis and Jason um, Burr. Um, you know, a couple other guys that were left at home, they were messaging me in the middle of my games, and I would look back and be, you know, I'd see, uh, Jesus, your dice are great right now, or something like that. Um, you know, I after the game, I'm looking and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so just re- do you like do you like uh, that kind me. of chatter, or do you just do you just prefer to be left alone and just do your thing? I mean, do you like well people hanging out at the I, table or or? I don't mind people hanging out at the table or watching or whatnot, but uh, I will rarely interact with anybody outside of my opponent while playing the game. Uh, the two games that I was on the stream, like I, I, I don't look at my phone, and you know, especially if it's streaming, I feel like that's. Uh, I mean, it could be a little bit shady if somebody's like trying to coach you, but. At the same time, if you're on the top table there, you know, any advice that somebody else is giving you might not be the the advice that you need anyway. So, but yeah, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't really looking at my phone or seeing that at, at the moment that it was being delivered. Uh, it was all more of an after the fact. So your pain score, uh, man, <laughs> what, what do you have to say about uh, that? I was more than disappointed when I saw the the paint score uh, at the end, which uh, granted was like two days after the event that I actually got to see it. And it wasn't, you know, in this particular uh, uh, tournament, Masters, it's pretty much the only one in the nation that you go there for the battle purposes. The paints, uh, you know, a lot of people go there for paint. I shouldn't say just for the battle, but the battle's the focus of the event, right? So I went to do well at battle Uh, i know that i have a very well painted army uh it was not painted by me i commissioned it i know that painting and hobbying is not my forte when it comes to this this game but i do love the aesthetics and the uh you know i really respect the people that can uh do the amazing things they do when it comes to painting an army um, so I would rather commission somebody to do uh, a, a great job on the the units that I want to play and want to show off, and then actually paint them myself and do a very very poor job of doing so. You know, I'm personally not insulted necessarily, but I, uh, you know, I had it commissioned by Grant Barnes, a guy here, a local out of here in Omaha, and. Um, I mean, I got 36 points out of 126 possible, which in my mind just seems impossible uh, for the quality that uh, was done. I, you know, in comparison, I was in the top 10 uh, painting points at Lone Wolf, which is a very competitive, I would say equally competitive and potentially even more competitive in some ways when it comes to painting and hobbying aspects. So going from a top 10 in that room to a bottom 10 paint score at Masters, just uh, it, it well, yeah, just didn't add up. 
you scored 18 out of 31, and then what they did was they doubled it up to 62. But you're only getting 36 points. Ironically, had you scored like a reasonable amount, you were you were actually you probably could have taken Paragon as well because you had such a high battle score uh, and your sports was great as well. So I think you finished with 267 Paragon, and the winner had 281. So that's a difference of uh, 14. If you would if you would have scored seven, if you would have scored 25 instead of eight, 18, you would have been in the running for Paragon as well. So just uh, right. you know, uh, it's just interesting that uh, well, I think it just it brings down the you know, it, it hammers home the idea that you know different rubrics and different pain judges they have different uh, approaches and you know um, yeah some and, are more critical than others right and I I did reach out to uh, Dan Miner and I know I knew reaching out to him that he wasn't the one that did the paint score. Um, and, you know, I just kind of asked him for a little bit of insight if he had any, you know, idea or input, if it was maybe a clerical error and there was a typo when it was entered, but it, it doesn't sound like that was the case. And he, you know, felt, yeah, felt it looks like there's he, a lot of low scores, right? I think, I think he, right. he must, uh, I think the paint judge did a, well, he was very critical. I think that's the best way to describe it. Right. I and mean, the high, the high was, you know, you scored. Oh, I'm, I'm looking at the regular paint score before it's doubled. But like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I scored 36 when after it was doubled, and Hank Gouge, who finished first, scored 110. Right, because yeah, it's doubled. Mm-hmm. So in the end, when it comes to Paragon, that's a difference of 74 points, which is the, yeah. effectively three games of battle. Yeah. Difference exactly. from exactly. top to almost bottom. Uh, there was yeah. actually people that got half the paint score points that oh, I. Oh yeah, did, well, so. some people that didn't have painted bases or even bases at all. So. Sure, and the fact that I was within ten points of them, but seventy-four points away from the top, uh, felt a little, little. Yeah, insulting. well, let's talk, let's talk about this. Uh, what did you think of the hobby standard? Because there was some amazing armies at this event. Oh like, yeah, really top tier stuff. So yeah, what were some and, of the highlights for you? Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, I have to shout out a couple different ones, but specifically the first one that comes to mind was actually a best of the rest uh, army, which is Scott Holcomb's uh, mm-hmm. army. Oh my gosh, his order the green lady, um, like the whole display and whatnot. Like he was able to get the full thing there with the display board, the backdrop. Like it, it looked like it was actually like a, a diorama. His just, display board took like two giant suitcases. I didn't even realize he flew he with flew. that. I thought he drove he with flew. that. Oh my gosh, uh, no, that's even more yeah, impressive. It was all on an airplane, <laughs> all on an airplane. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Super awesome! Um, uh, I, I think absolutely. I think he might be one of the best players to, to show uh, movement and dynamic nature of the, the units. They're definitely uh-huh. not standing in parade form, right? They're they're charging, right. they're running, they're jumping, and they're flying. Uh, yes. Awesome! Yeah, I love that. Um, and congratulations to him on the player's choice uh, from Best of the Rest. Well deserved. I would say that uh, there there were a couple really standout armies. Uh, I obviously have to call out Brenton Williams. Now his uh, Ben Hur uh, display board and army, like it, it was just gorgeous. Uh, it was very well done. I love how he uh, had like a little scavenger hunt sheet too for people uh, that he has like models. 
that represent other people in the community that you can, you know, look on the sheet and then you have to find them on the display board. So he had like a Tom Anus spy master uh, in, in there. He had a, a Jake Pikachu. He had a Pikachu model in there and, you know, he had a bunch of other, uh, uh, you know, well-known figures and it, it was just kind of a fun thing that he built into it. So, um, and I think that he took player's choice as well, if I'm not mistaken, for uh, for the uh, Masters event. Where he actually wore a costume. It was awesome. Right. He had a toga. So, <laughs> But it was, again, well-deserved, well-thought-out. Uh, he had the uh, advantage of driving this year, so uh, he went big, and it worked out for him. You know, the, uh, I, I love... Uh, I got to call out Garrett's army. Um, I love his uh, Aladdin theme, uh, nature. Um, it's just a beautiful army. And, uh, you know, again, when I look at the paint scores, I felt like that was another one that was uh, done an injustice with the overall paint score. I think he only was sitting at like 50 some points, if if not less. So, again, I, I don't know where the issue was, but uh, it's just a gorgeous army. I also really liked Sean Polka's Alice in Wonderland theme army. It was it was gorgeous. And then, you know, the the guys from the South always bring their game. Uh, Dustin Howard has a beautiful army. Hank Gouge, obviously winning Best Painted. He's he's just incredible. And then uh, even John Green and his Abyssals. Uh, I, I love the, the work that he's done with that list and that army. So... Uh, and I'm sure I'm missing uh, several others. I didn't get a chance to, you know, look at every single army. Uh, unfortunately, the hall was closed by the time I got back on uh, Saturday after dinner. So it, there was limited time to go perusing the armies that weekend, I felt. But, uh, you know, those were the ones that really stood out to me. Sorry to anybody else that I didn't call out. I'm sure you all had great armies. I just didn't didn't make the rounds as much as I wanted to this weekend. Well, enough talking about soft scores and Paragon, because that's not your bag. Your bag is <laughs> smashed in face and taking names. Game six. All the marbles were on the table. You know you're going to be at. It's going to be streamed. Had you played Nathan Clevenger before from the Southeast? Yes, I lost to Nathan Clevenger at the New York Masters. And I know that we we did a little uh, talk right after our game, and and we went a little bit into that. So I'll kind of save you guys the story of that one, because I already uh, told it on on that on that particular sitting, but uh, yeah, Nathan had beaten me uh, the one time we played before. And then uh, another little fun fact is that just a couple weeks before this, Nathan had beaten Travis uh, at the, the Kings of Memphis tournament that you hosted Rob, uh, which in the end uh, probably caught, co- you know, cost Travis the opportunity of finishing first at the event. He, he finished second. Uh, he lost to Nathan in round four and it sounded like Nathan had some, pretty hot dice especially with his resonant chorus banshee that he had going you know travis gave me the uh give me the thumbs down on nathan said nope he he doesn't survive so and i i joked i told him that going in i was like yep travis says i owe you one for him you know i know we touch on we did sit down with nathan we chatted about the game but maybe just give us the highlights again you 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 didn't get the 
the ability to go first, right? Uh, game six, six games in a row, going second. So, and then it was raised was the scenario. So, uh, raised is probably, in my opinion, the the one scenario that it is most advantageous going first. Um, your opponent, if you go first, your opponent only gets one movement action to cover up the the tokens to prevent you from destroying them. And if they make a mistake or if they're not able to, to cover it effectively and you have a fast enough army, you can absolutely punish them uh, early on and just steamroll your way to a victory in the scenario. I wanted to go first. Obviously, I didn't. Uh, Nathan obviously had the tools and the speed to be able to do what I just described and potentially steamroll me to a, a victory. Um, and... It really, he he took that risk. He uh, came at me hard on my right flank. He committed three regiments of soul flares and his horde of fiends with the brew of strength uh, into my lines. And his goal was to pick up uh, a uh, two hordes of scarecrows and a butcher flesh ripper. Um, and everything, and I guess every everything bounced. And I should say that. Um, you know, some people might not realize uh, something unique about the the matchup is Night Stalker versus Night Stalker. It means that there is no inspiring, which means that the averages you usually play to, like a seven twice, is out the window. You know, you just need one nerve roll. So that means that anything between like a 10 and a four is well within average range. Uh, whereas I would say six to eight is normally the average with inspiring. So it really opens up the possibility for those swingy rolls. And um, it, it can, you know, kind of allow a game to get out of control. And that's pretty much what happened because when he bounced on top of turn two against my lines, he was able to destroy one of the tokens just because of his uh, uh, superior unit strength. Um, but because he didn't kill one of the scarecrow hordes, he wasn't able to destroy the second token, which was, uh, you know, those were his main objectives by committing that early. And I had set up the counters the turn prior, um, hoping that he would come in. Um, and I picked up all four of those units on bottom of turn two, and I basically just turned the entire right flank in that single turn, um, which allowed me to focus towards the center and then focus on his legions of bloodworms, um, which are very durable. And I would I would need every uh, you know one of the things that could lose me the game is snake eyesing them once I get the you know the damage necessary up there and you know delaying uh only having maybe six turns and that happening could could potentially prevent me from getting it um or if he was able to just delay the center and right flank to where i couldn't support to get enough damage onto those units so um you know, I I don't think Nathan's play was bad by any means because it definitely had a huge upside for him, um, but his dice just weren't weren't good enough at that point, and I was able to roll extremely well throughout the entirety of our game. I would say um, that was one thing that absolutely was in my favor was the dice rolls. So um, when I turned that flank, um, you know, so going into turn three and I effectively destroyed half of his army at that point. I felt 
uh, extremely confident that I had the game in control and that um, it was, you know, just a question of when I kill those blood worms and not if at that point. So in the end, I was able to pick up everything outside of a, a horror. Um, so again, I was about 10 points shy of the max uh, kill points, but I got all the scenario points. And uh, so it was a 24 point win for me at the very end. Um, so extremely that was a theme. happy. That was theme. You didn't drop very many points. I mean, out of 150 points, you ended with 143 battle. So you've yep. only dropped seven points over the course of six games. So realistically, that's like one point a game, except for mm-hmm. one. So 23 in one game and then 24 in the other five. Pretty impressive yep. stuff. And it was all kill points. I didn't I didn't table any anyone's army. I didn't get the 25, but uh, I was one unit shy of four or five wow. of the, my opponents. It seemed like that would be, so. it would be tough to do because it was, what, 2185 you had to kill out of 2300 yeah. to yeah, get five points? It seems, seems, seems high. Yeah, you, ne- you needed to table them effectively. I, I don't think there was a situation in any of my games where I could have left something alive and gotten a 25. Congratulations, obviously. You know, after you, you won, you obviously knew you were the only uh, undefeated player. You mm-hmm. knew, obviously, you were going to be the U.S. Master. Who was the first person you talked to when you knew you were the U.S. Master? I think it was you, Rob. <laughs> Nathan and I were done so early in that game. Like, you were. almost everybody else was still playing. You know, our, our game just went pretty quick once uh once we you know decided to commit turn two and things just die off quickly and not having in firing like he he had a really good uh comeback turn even in like on turn four or five where his uh ranged attacks he like picked up two or three units with shooting another two units with the bloodworm legions like he he picked up like three or four or four or five units in a single turn but uh you know it was all just quick one one single nerve test is all it took with a lot of those yeah, I think it was one of those where I, I sat there, talked with Nathan for, for quite a bit. You know, we submitted our scores and there were a couple people kind of standing by and whatnot. But I I ended up just walking around to check on my mountain region guys. They look at me and they're like, you're done already. And I would I would say, yep. And then I'd have this, you know, grin on my face and they're like, you did it. And, you know, they, Billy and Michael and Tyler, they all gave me a hug. And so I, I guess I did, you know, go around and talk to the mountain region guys before coming to the table. But I think the the first person I really, you know, people I really talked to about the game was uh, on the counter charge podcast. So, so battle <laughs> points, 143 points, amazing finish, Adam. In second place, we had Jeff Radigan at 127 coming out of the South. Bryce Clark, out of Middle Tennessee, had 123 points. You know, I think he was playing Forces of Nature. I don't think people were just – they. He, he's not been on the scene, but he is mm-hmm. a disciple of Dustin, and he's a great player. And I think he got some people out. Keith Conroy and Corey Reynolds both scored 100 – and Michael Ireland all scored 122 battle. And then we have Nathan Clevenger and A. So even losing that last game, he only dropped, you know, uh, just a few spots. And Nathan finished with 121. So what an amazing – finish and you know shout out to matt carmack who was one of your uh, ringers for the mountain yep. region he, 112 and then andrew mitten yes. out of oklahoma 107 points man if you could just get a few more andrew mittens on the team you guys would be a winning you guys you guys could take this thing out uh, haven't you heard we got a few more tools than andrew mitten we got a we got a winning team i think next year rob i'm gonna say it here 
we're gonna dethrone the South because uh, <laughs> because we got myself. I mean, if Andrew does what he did this year, uh, we got Travis Tim. I mean, he's gonna be my vote for Masters next year. I'm not voting for yeah, myself. Yeah, you got Garrett and Michael to kind of finish middle of the pack too. So you got a lot of right? strong but players. We got Jeff Swan. He's out of Colorado now. You guys better watch out. We're coming for you. Now that it's all over, done and dusted, you know, what are your your thoughts? You know, a few days removed from it, is it sunk in? Mm-hmm. I think it it's kind of finally starting to get there. I, I definitely just was happy to have done as well as I did. You know, the first night, Saturday night uh, or Sunday night, and then, you know, traveling home on Monday. Great traveling home and getting all these notifications and gra- congratulations from everybody. So big, big thank you, and I really appreciate it. And then you know, back to work on uh, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, so it's it's one of those things where I think it's finally sunk in. And I think the uh, <laughs> the main thing that made it sink in was uh, I got added to a, a private group message that includes only the uh, previous masters, um, and you know they're congratulating me, but then also giving me tips like, well. You you got the target on your back now, bud. Just watch out. Everybody's going to be gunning for you, and you know. So they're they're really great bunch of guys. Chatted for a while about uh, different things, even outside of Kings. Just really appreciate the the support and uh, the congratulations from the community as a whole, and really appreciate my uh, my local guys and everybody that uh, you know uh, puts up with playing me on a regular basis. Uh, I couldn't have done it with, without all you guys. So big shout out to Travis and Billy here, locals, and um, you know everybody that I play on UB. Um, so really appreciate you all. Yeah, I just just uh, very happy. Still, still just can't stop smiling about it. You know, what's your advice to those young people? They're inspired by your victory and they want to they want to <laughs> join the ranks of being a U.S. Uh, master. I think the main thing I'd say is just reach out to me. I'm, I mean, I'm uh, open to playing on UB, and you know, if we're going to be at the same tournament, uh, you know, we we don't necessarily have to challenge each other. But a lot of times, I get in, you know, Friday night in time, we could, you know, maybe get a game in or something. Like if you're, you know, if you're new to the community or maybe a lesser known part of the community, just everybody in the community is great. It's not just, you know, you don't have to just reach out to me. You can reach out to pretty much anybody that's a, a well-known figure in this community and they'll point you in the right direction or, you know, help you out themselves. So I love talking Kings of War. I love looking at lists. I love playing games, discussing games after, uh, you know, afterwards. And, you know, that's, that's how you get to uh, a higher standard of play is you, you play your games and then you dissect, you know, what went right, what went wrong, what are things that I would do differently? What is the optimal way I should combat this type of army? Sometimes it comes down to, well, you don't have the right tools in your list. We need to go back to the list building stage. Other times it's you you got the tools, we just need to use them in the right way. So if you're looking to really kind of dive deep into the tactics of Kings of War, I would love to talk to you about it. So uh, hit me up on Facebook Messenger anytime. Well, awesome. And we've been at this for two and a half hours. I know you've got better things to do than to keep talking <laughs> to me because I think you've talked to me for hours at this point. Hours and hours <laughs> at this point. 
I love it, Rob. You know, hopefully you'll be you, you'll be the first one to be able to repeat as champion. And that's the question: Are you going to bring the same list? I don't know. We'll see. I don't have any plan. I, I don't have the desire to be bringing this list for another year's worth of tournaments. So I will definitely be changing it up. Uh, you know, hopefully in the near future here. It, it might show up at Lady, it might show up at Iowa GT, but I hope it doesn't show up anywhere else after that. So we'll we'll see because I'll, honestly, I had uh, I I was about I was really close to changing the list right before Masters and not playing Night Stalkers at all. I had a a Sylvankin list that I was just. Uh, salivating over um but it had greater air elementals so i won't be actually you know making the army at this point but at the time i was thinking for masters man this is you know even more nasty than my night stalker list but i didn't pull the trigger on it obviously so yeah we'll see what's next uh and you know I know a couple of previous masters have uh, returned with the same list, and I think Keith, uh, you know, just this year returned with a very similar list, maybe not the exact same list, um, and he did extremely well. What was like top, top five, top eight? Who knows? Uh, I might bring it back. I might be on to something different that I think is. Uh, you know, maybe just showing off other talents or skills in an army list that I want to, I, I enjoy playing more. So we'll, we'll see. We got a whole year. Well, fantastic. Uh, Adam, thanks for joining us. And if you would, you want to take us out tonight. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. And everybody else, thanks for listening and keep countercharging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.